I love that song. Um, I know why you're not happy. I do. Um, You're not happy for the same reason that I'm not happy a lot of times. I know why you're not happy, and I'm not going to tell you why you're not happy just yet. Um, We are talking about mission. This is the last week of six weeks about mission. The first three were about why. The last three were about how. And this week specifically is about how we engage our our culture in terms of our mission. What is our mission? And um, to get that, to get this idea of mission, um, I want to uh, throw out, if you will, what Jesus said about what was his mission. Um, Because it sort of follows, and we'll see this later, it sort of follows that um, Jesus' mission was the Father's mission. Um, And everything that he had, the Father had. And everything that the Father had, he had. It's kind of confusing. And everything that he has, he's given to his children, Jesus. And so the mission that he took from the Father is also his mission. And so uh, after Jesus came back from the wilderness, he uh, went to the synagogue and he picked up the book of Isaiah. And he read these words about his own mission. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. When we think about Jesus' mission, we usually think about those kind of first two sections. We think very much in terms of the proclamation of truth, and we think also about his service to the poor and to his neighbors. And uh, we are people that are sort of either or. It makes our lives easier if we can compartmentalize our lives. And so um, we tend to err on one side or the other, either or, one of those two things. Neither of those things actually is his mission. His mission is in this last sentence when he says, and they declare that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What he was saying is that the kingdom had come in him. And that was what really hacked people off when he stood in the synagogue and read from Isaiah. Because he was implying that the fullness of God's reign and his government and his person had come in him, and that it had been fulfilled in them in that moment, and that it was scandalous. It doesn't sound scandalous to you now, but if I stood up here and I said that to you today, and you knew what that meant, you would think I was either out of my skull, that I was, uh, had the mentality of a turnip, or that I was some kind of crazy heretic. I mean, those are sort of the only options, and they weren't any different in Jesus' day either. And so they were scandalized when he stood and said, the kingdom has come. So what was the kingdom? What was his mission? That is really simple. His mission was to destroy death. His mission was to end suffering, and it was to restore people. So I'm going to make this down to make it simple. Two things. It was to destroy death, and it was to restore people to God himself in unity. Look at this. We fool ourselves when we think that death is, is the normal state of affairs. It was not. We were not created for death. Death is the normal state of affairs now, but it was not created that way. Death is a curse. Death came by virtue of our fall and by disobedience in the Garden of Eden has passed to each person since then. Death is not the normal state of things. Um, if you want to know what death looks like, death apart from, from a relationship with God, all you have to do is look at Jesus on the cross saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? That moment of anguish is the moment of complete annihilation of self and separation from God. And the reality of what Christians have taught for 2,000 years, as, as insensitive as I can be about this culturally, is that, that what Jesus said over and over himself is that 
that is not the normal order of things. And the reason that he came was he suffered that death, that annihilation, so that he could destroy death and that death would have no sting. That is, that is number one in his mission. Destroy death. And you're going to get that in the first song that the band comes out with after with, when they worship. The, the, one of the lines in the song is, cheat, cheat death, right? We're going to cheat death. The second part was to restore people to God himself. There's this interesting, uh, there's, it's, this is all through the Bible, but I'm going to give you one image of this. Um, Aaron was, um, was the first priest of the ancient Hebrews. And when uh, God was telling them how he wanted the ancient Hebrews to worship, he instructed Aaron on what he should wear. And uh, as Aaron came before him, and he instructed him that he would wear a breastplate. And on that breastplate, um, he told them to put various stones and jewels. And each of those stones was to represent an individual tribe in the people of Israel. And, and so what God said was, when you come before me, you will bear on your chest, you'll bear on your heart my people. God has always desired that his people be restored to him in their fullness. People are God's treasure. The normal intentional order of things was restoration and fullness with him. If you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, in Revelation, what you'll find is a story where, where the, 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 um, the prophet John says that he saw a city. He, he said he saw the bride of, of, of Jesus, and she was a city. And then he describes the city and all the things, you know, like pearly gates and gold and diamonds and sapphires and jasper and all that stuff, right? Those stones... Those precious metals that are named in Revelation are the exact same stones and precious metals that Aaron wore on his chest. And so what John was telling us is that at the end of time, when the kingdom comes to its full consummation, death will be destroyed and people will be restored in fullness to God. That is the real mission of Jesus. That was God's mission. What is our mission? Our mission is that. There's nothing to add to it. Now, it can be different for every person. It could be that, you know, that you're, you're an artist and you're a Christian. And so in your art, you express that. We, we have a, um, it, we've seen some, some, some videos over the last several weeks. You know, Justin Huey's a guy, plays in a great band. Well, he's, he's, he's first of all, he's a musician. And he sort of just happens to go into the world he goes, and wherever he goes, he takes this mission with him. And we saw this other video that showed the brake fields and how you know, they sort of threw their whole family in to serve here on the, in a really amazing way for an entire week in the homeless, um, to serve the homeless here at Warehouse. And it's the same way. So anywhere they went, they took that mission. And I guess that is, that's the thing you need to hear is that, you know, I'm not a professional religious person, um, and there aren't many people in the church at Warehouse... There are professional religious people, and if the mission depends on them, we're sunk. But frankly, I know them. They're not that smart. Um, they're not that gifted. They can't do... No, I'm not joking now. They can't do it all themselves. They don't want to do it all themselves. Now, the mission is you. Where you go, the mission goes. Where I go, the mission goes. And what people desperately need to see... What they desperately need to see is when we speak, they need to hear the proclamation of truth. And when they see our hands, when they see us work, they need to see the hands of Jesus working. And it's really just that simple. It's just that simple. So that's, um, that's mission. Now, um, 
I'm going to read this text now, Ed. And I'm going to read this text. Um, actually, this comes from John 17. And uh, poor Ed, I'm taking a completely different direction than I did in the first service, so hang in there. Here we go. Um, okay, this, this comes from Jesus last night on earth, and he, um, this is, he's praying. And so this is like uh, the disciples getting to like, listen in on his prayers. This is not Jesus instructing his apostles, believe it or not. This is the most intimate communication within the Godhead. Jesus talking to the Father. So when you're seeing this, you're really seeing what's on the heart of God. And you're going to see that the thing that's on the heart of God is God's people and his mission. Um, just a note, it, we're talking about mission, and you won't see the word mission in this text. But just so you know it, the word sent in Greek, is just written in this Greek, is missio, it's mission. It's where we get our word. Um, so that word will appear three times. And um, one more thing. Uh, you've been told that the Lord's Prayer goes, Our Father, who art in heaven, that's... Not the Lord's Prayer. That is your prayer. That is the Lord teaching us how to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. And the reason this prayer matters is not just because of all the stuff that we're going to learn here today. It matters because it's, it's what is, has transpired and it is what will transpire. It is true. It is true. And nothing will stand in the way of its completion. And that is why this prayer is significant. This is Jesus' prayer. This is the real Lord's Prayer. It goes this way. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours... You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given to me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. I know why you're not happy. Because you're not happy for the same reason that I'm not happy a lot of times too. And the reason I'm not happy is that I'm not plugged into the mission of God. Somehow, I have some shadow mission. I have some other thing that I think is more important, and I'm tracking down some direction or some number of directions in reality that are different, that are taking me off of that, mission, that missio, that sentedness. Now, mission is just sentedness. You just, it just means to be called or to be sent. It's just it's that, that easy. And it means, to be, you know, it means to be called to something that's bigger than yourself. Now, we need a bigger story than our story. Our stories are finite. They are, they are small. And we, and we are always fighting against that. But that's the reality. Our stories are, are, are small and they are finite. And the only story of permanence and the biggest story is God's own story. And so all of our own significance has to be found in his mission and in his story. We're not happy when we're not part of the mission. Jesus 
I mean, prayed that we would have the full measure of joy. He would, he would, and Scripture says that every good thing comes from Christ. There's nothing good that comes apart from Him. We experience things, many good things as humans, but a lot of those things are reflective of the creation and, and, and the good things that He gave to, to all of us. But real joy is found in Him and found from Him and being part of His mission. It's funny. If you think about it, do you think about the Father, God, as being a joyful person? But, but what we know is that God, the Father, is, is like the most joyful person in the entire universe or outside of this universe. He's the, he is the happiest person. And you were created in Christ's reflection. And Christ was created in his, is, is, is him. I mean, he's, he's part of the Godhead. And so what I'm saying is that, you know, you're, you absolutely will find no lasting sense of joy apart from the mission that God has in this world. Destroy death and restore people to him. It's the only way. We need the bigger story. Um, it, it's, this is the antithesis for us because if you think about it, we just had the 4th of July weekend and we all know that famous passage in the Declaration of Independence, you know, that we are, you know, and we are, we are allowed by our maker, we're entitled by our maker to the pursuit of happiness. So it's, it, we, we know this to be true from our own prophets. But, but it doesn't tell us, the, the Declaration of Independence doesn't tell us quite how to get it. And so we try these other shadow missions, right? So what do we typically do? We try to increase our own significance, right? I mean, uh, it's a weird thing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Walker, this is sort of a, a mind experiment. Walker Percy so, tells the story, so put yourself in this story. So imagine um, you get a new uh, jacket. Women, I don't know what you would get this new. Guys, imagine you get a new jacket. It's a cool jacket. And so you go out on Friday night, and you're going to dinner with some friends, and you see your reflection in the window, and you think, I look pretty good in that jacket. You know, it doesn't, it's not too bad on the side view. As you get older, it's really important to always face straight forward as much as possible because the slide gets a little odd. Um, so the jacket covers that nicely. And uh, you think, I look great in that jacket. So what do you feel? You feel more significant, right? I'm better looking. I'm happier. I'm with some good-looking friends. Okay, now imagine that you realize you catch the eye of a woman who's looking at you, and she is looking at the jacket. I won't say if it's your wife or daughter or your girlfriend, but just imagine a woman. And now what do you feel? You feel more significant. I mean, now, now I'm somebody. I'm getting attention, right? Now imagine this. I can imagine this. As I'm going down the road and I look from the sidewalk into, the, into this restaurant, I see that Sean Penn is having dinner inside the restaurant. And he is wearing the same jacket. <laughs> Man, am I significant or what? I'm really somebody. Sean Penn and I have the same jacket. It's, I'm somebody. We are constantly conforming to the image of this world, in some way trying to raise our own significance. That's a small thing, but there's, there's other ways that we do that. The way Jesus showed us is to increase our insignificance. It is, is true if you think about movies. Think about Lord of the Rings. The, the, the person who pursues power the most 
is the person who becomes the most insignificant. It's Gollum. He started out as one thing, Smeagol. He becomes something completely different. He doesn't, he's actually changed in his physical presence and his countenance. And he becomes in some point, some moment, just a vapor of who he really was. He becomes completely insignificant in the pursuit of his own significance. The person who is the least significant is Frodo, who selflessly takes on the task of carrying the ring to its completion with his friends. It's a, it is a fellowship. But he, he, he humbles himself, and he takes on the task, and even and at great risk, he achieves it, and he is the least significant. And yet, at the end, he's the hero. That is the biblical story about mission. That when we want significance, when we want our story to be really significant, it's about impact. It's about impact. You're not going to end, you're not going to lay on your deathbed and say, man, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. I'm, I'm not even, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not sure what you will think in that moment. But I'm pretty certain that five minutes after you pass from this world, you will want to see the impact you had in this world with your people. The people are still behind the people that went before you. And hope in that is only in mission. It's in nothing else. And, and, and joining in with God's mission. So, what is God's mission? Destroy death and restore people to God. What's our mission? To join into that. How will we get significance? By making ourselves insignificant. By joining him in his mission with other people and destroying death. And that's it. Now, uh, in this passage we looked at with Jesus praying, um, there's a great question here if I have and the answer is in this passage. And the question I have is, um, okay, got it, the first parts. So why are we so ineffective? Why am I so ineffective at this? I mean, I need to be very real. I'm not particularly effective. And, uh, and we were out running with some friends yesterday, and uh, Josh Jensen said something that I Googled. And I, don't, I didn't get the same quote that he had exactly, but a guy named Tim Kite, I have no idea who he is, says, every organization is perfectly designed to get the results they're already getting. You know, it was Albert Einstein who said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing you're doing now over and over and expect a different result. Th- this is not working. I mean, the way I'm living, I'm not, getting, I'm not happy, and I'm not, I'm not being particularly effect- as effective. I'm not making quite the impact I would like to make. And so it requires a change. And as I looked at these, these verses this week, you know, what really jumps out to me is that where we really struggle is in this tension between being not of the world but being sent into it. It's really funny to me. The funny part of it is that I, I'm like, I checked. I'm, I'm in this world. Here I am. And yet Jesus is sending me into it. So I must have some natural lean, some natural gravitation in my heart that takes me away from it, that puts my, my focus into other things or direction into other things. I need to be sent into the world I'm already in. We, we really struggle in this area and one of the ways that the two main mistakes we make are withdrawal and conformity and I'm going to show you withdrawal this way um, and this is I like this so much I want to give you the image for uh, sort of how the Christian life is lived for a lot of folks these are um, this is withdrawal um, these are peanut M&M's now I'm going to have some of this right now and uh, I'm not just from the folks at Marsh um, good people at Marsh. If I had all the money I've spent on M&Ms, 
and the wrappers I hid from my wife um, so she wouldn't know. Um, if I had that money and I had instead invested in Mars stock, I'd be at least 1.2 years closer to my retirement, I'm sure. So I'm not dissing them. But this is an image of how a lot of folks think of the Christian life. Got a nice shell on there. That way your hands won't get, people's hands won't get dirty, right? Just keeping all that good, chocolatey goodness, sweet, dark goodness inside for myself. That's one image. I'm not sharing it. Second image is this. This is the Trader Joe's dark chocolate almonds. Anybody else a fan? Oh, baby. You bring these home, you need somebody else. I, I don't know who it would be, but somebody else to put them up in a high place that you can't reach and that you don't know exists because on these, there's a secret weapon. They put the salt on the outside. You know what salt does? Salt, when it hits your tongue, opens up your taste buds, all of them. And so when you eat these, you get the full experience of the Dark Lord. <laughs> Chocolate. This is the way to go. Other thing about these, I tell you, they are messy. You're going to want to wipe your hand on your pants, on your caps, whatever it takes. You're going to want to wipe your hands. This is a better metaphor for how the Christian life should be lived than the M&M. For sure. Deep stuff, right? You just talked about sheep, and I talk about M&Ms and chocolate. Um, we are constantly, constantly conforming ourselves. And I'm, after that little funny part, I'm going to hit you really hard here, so grab on the seat. Um, you can blame Tim Keller. I will credit him with this. Um, it's pretty hard-hitting. He says, yes, he says, isn't it funny? You walk into a place like warehouse or anywhere else, a place like warehouse, and you say, and you say to somebody, my wife and I are moving to New York City with our three children. And what is going through the minds of the people that you're, you're telling that to? Why would you go to New York? Why would you go? You tell your friends, you're sending your kids to public school, they'll think one of two things. You don't have enough money for private school. That's one possibility. And that you're insane. The suburbs largely exist. Why? Because people were fleeing the cities. We have withdrawn. What our city and what our schools need is us and our children. And we should repent. We should. And that means to go the other direction. And so I'm challenging some of you to repent and accept that challenge. It's very hardcore, but you'll be happy you did. It's a funny notion we used to say when we started Warehouse Amongst Some of Us. There was this notion that we could be infected by the culture. God help us. We're the virus. And, and when you think about salt, where this virus of salt, when you think about salt, one of the things that salt does is it's a preserving agent. You can use it in, in, for curing meats. You can use it in all kinds of different ways. But in food, salt is, a, is, a, is, a, is an, an element that helps to preserve and keep things. And we are called to be salt. We are called to not withdraw. And we're not called to conform. Now, when I say that, the natural way we go here is to think, 
always talking about, okay, I'm, I can check that one off because I don't, uh, I don't drink excessively, um, at least not publicly. Um, and you can go right down your list of all the things you don't do, make you feel very comfortable. Let's go back to joy. The elemental question is, where is your joy? Where are you getting joy? We're conf- I am conforming to the world. I'll just lay my stuff out there. I am conforming to the world when I'm, because I'm in the business world and I'm a leader, I'm conforming to the world when I'm getting joy, more joy from the results of the organization I'm leading and, my pers- and, and the way that people are going to see me and personal acclamation that I'm getting in my impact in their lives for the gospel. For those two things, am I helping to destroy death? Am I helping to destroy, am I helping to to connect them better to God? When I'm getting more joy from making earnings, or from making a better reputation, or being seen as funner, more clever, and slightly better looking than all the other people my age, then I am conforming to the world. It is scary, so don't be conformed to the world. Okay. So this last section I want to talk about. So I'm ineffective. I have trouble balancing this conformity issue um, and withdrawal. So how? And and this is really I'm going to say it right from is born out of my out of Kathy and my personal experience. And so these are just some things that have worked from us. Maybe they'll work for you. Maybe they won't. Um, I think in large part they will. Um, people ask us all the time, "Are you guys still at warehouse?" And we sort of jokingly, because, you know, we've been here forever. And so um, we sort of jokingly reply, well, sure, because nobody else would have us. And th- those people at Warehouse aren't very discerning, and so they just kind of let us just keep coming along, and that's all good. Um, you know, if you come into our house, you'll look at the wall on the right side underneath this clock that was my grandfather's clock, and you'll see a little sign there that that Bill and Roxanne Morgan gave to us years ago. Um, gave it to us after we'd been through a couple of miscarriages. And it's a verse from Isaiah, set up a couple of verses from Isaiah, and part of what it says is that in exchange for your life, it's Jesus, I mean, excuse me, it's, it's God speaking prophetically to the people of Jerusalem. He says, in exchange for your life, I will give you people. And to, to tell you the truth, the reason we're here is because this is meaningful for us. That better than any other place, we have felt like we're really part of the mission of what God is doing. And so we willingly and gladly give any way we feel called to give. Now, we don't feel called to do everything. I'll put it right out there. This will probably disturb Shannon if she's in the building. You will not see me in Kids Warehouse. But there's some reason for that. It's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I'm, you know, I don't like kids. That's because kids don't like me. Um, that's really why I'm scared of them. No. It is really because if I do that, I won't, I won't be using my gifts in the places where I'm really passionate and where I'm really good. And the same thing is true of Kathy. So we, we are intentional about the mission of Warehouse, and we look very, clear, very closely at the opportunities that it provides for us to give our lives away in that mission of destroying death and reconnecting people to God. And we apply our time our money, and our lives there. We've never been disappointed. So here are the four things I think they'll work for you. The first one is you're going to have to embrace ambiguity. If you want certainty, if you want easy either or, leave the building and run. I hope we are never 
that certain. I hope that you walk a life out that requires you day to day to ask God for the right step and that you don't have that kind of smugness that comes with going one way or the other. Live with ambiguity. I'll give you an example. Jesus' followers came to her one day and they said, so what's the deal with John the Baptist? And after kind of coming around the question for a while, he says this. He says, here's the thing about John. is that uh, people said to him, uh, we, we, we played the flute and you wouldn't dance. And we sang and you wouldn't sing with us. And John was not known for being a real happy kind of guy. He was kind of a, kind of a straight to the point truth teller. And they said of John, he has a demon. <laughs> And the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus said, but the Son of Man came, and he hangs out with whores, and he hangs out with drunks, and he hangs out with sinners. And they said, he's a drunk, and he's a sinner. And really what he's saying is you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. You can't please everybody. The last thing he says after that is, wisdom is known by her children. What we're saying is live with ambiguity, walk in the Spirit, and live it over long periods of time. And in 5, 10, 15, 20, 5,000 years, what you will see is children, the product of that life. And the wisdom of your life will be in that. And that is, so embrace the ambiguity. The second one is this, um, embrace discomfort. Um, Nobody is ever called that does not sacrifice. It is implicit in mission that you will sacrifice something for the greater good and you will give up something that you desperately want for yourself. And it's, if you look at the, the patriarchs, people like Moses, Noah, Abraham, those fellows, right? Those guys? Sarah, same way. All, all, the, all those folks. Not only did it come at cost, they typically had to be kicked out. They did not embrace their mission initially. God forced them into it. Jesus is really the only person that ever fully embraced his mission, came of his own free will, and took on the whole deal. You know, he really did the whole deal in his free will. But the rest of us, we sort of have to be poked and prodded. And so it will come with a great deal of discomfort. Um, it may be simple things like this. Look, if you want to have a life that's known, you, you feel like God is calling you in this mission, and, and you have this spiritual gift of, you have this gift of getting money. You're just a prosperous person. Here could be the sacrifice. I'll give you a practical example. Don't live like your neighbor. Don't buy the same car as your neighbor. Don't buy the same house as your neighbor. Don't take the same vacations. Don't send your kids to the same school. Use the money that God gave you and apply it into the mission that he's called you. I'm not saying it has to be a warehouse, but use your money. He gave you this ability to get money. That's a good thing. Don't increase your own significance with it. Increase God's glory and his fame and his significance with it. Give it away. You can't give it away if you spend it on yourself. A real practical example, and you can just kind of take it from there. Embrace the discomfort. Embrace being the differentness and embrace, you know, at sometimes the cost that will come with it. Third one is this that I think I found that works, is embrace the pluralistic culture that you live in. You know, something wonderful has happened. You know, Christians have been kind of moaning for some period of time about, here about how they, they sort of lost their control of the game here and in Western culture, and it, it's a good thing that they have because when you're sort of when you are the power, you know, then truth needs to be spoken to you. When you're not, you can maybe speak some truth. The, the chairs are really turned. What I have found is that if I'm sitting down in, in the even in the workplace, if, if I am just 
really curious if I just, instead of being judgmental and wagging a finger and telling people how it's at, where it's going to be and how it's going to go, maybe start with, wow, well, why, why do you think that? How does that work for you? Really be genuinely, genuinely curious and humble. You are, you are human. You are not so different from everybody else. You're every bit as fallen as everybody else. And you're, and you're no more fallen than anybody else. And so you have a seat at the table in pluralism, and you can ask questions. Not only that, if it's really a, uh, if it's really a pluralistic culture, and I think it is, it is not only your right, but it's your responsibility to engage in the conversation. And so when we don't do that, we are shirking our responsible responsibility as citizens of this world. So speak. Engage. Embrace the pluralistic culture. It's not all that bad. Um, and the last one is this. Embrace, embrace holiness. I won't go into a lot of detail about it because um, I talked about it a couple weeks ago and how important it is. But if you look at those verses, it's pretty interesting. At the end there, Jesus talks about, he uses the word sanctified, which is like to be set apart like a vessel, a holy vessel, to be sanctified. He talks about mission, and he talks about sanctification again. It is like a holiness sandwich, right? With mission as the meat in between the bread. And he does that intentionally to make us, to remind us that, you know, well, he uses this example. The song that we used in the special music, you know, the band, band horses song, um, is our ghost in my house. Now, a ghost is sort of a disembodied person, right? It's a person without a body. It, it is insanity. It is insanity to think you are going to be a Christian and live a full life of joy and, and, and divorce that from personal holiness. You, you will suffer, and people will suffer because of it. And so it is, it's worth, it is worth it because the mission is worth it to sacrifice what you want and live holy lives. So those are the four things I think work. And all those things... All your interactions, bathe them in love, bathe them in humility, genuinely love people. That will always play. It's the end of the series. And I'm going to leave you just with what I started. You can be happier. You can be more full of joy. You can lead lives that really make an impact. And that 5,000 years you will see that impact and you'll be glad of it. Or you can live the life you've already been living and you'll get the same result. Your life is perfectly designed in its current state to continue getting the same result it's been getting all along. So the encouragement is to break it today and redesign it and live our lives in the fullness of God's mission and His invitation. Let's pray. God, You're great. And so um, we really do want to live in your mission. We want to be found in that mission. We want our stories um, to have significance only because they're in your story. Thank you, Jesus, for destroying death and offering the restoration of all things to us. We want to be people that join you in that work. In your son's name we pray. Amen.